I just want to point out that, you know, uh, in 80s and 90s, you know, uh, it usually takes like 20 or 25 years for establishing any new technique. Right. But it has tremendously reduced now with the modern technology, you know, with all these uh, innovations and other things. So what can be achieved in 30 years back in the 80s can be achieved in five years now. So right. we are living in the fast age, uh, fast world. So uh, so it will not be too far. Uh, I will not be surprised. Uh, so if flash radiation already enters the clinical trial um, in, in about three or three to five years. I think I will not be surprised. This is the ORISE Featurecast. Join host Michael Holtz for conversations with ORISE experts on STEM workforce development, scientific and technical reviews, and the evaluation of radiation exposure and environmental contamination. You'll also hear from ORISE research program participants and their mentors as they talk about their experiences and how they are helping shape the future of science. Welcome to the ORISE FeatureCast. Welcome to the ORISE FeatureCast. As ever, I am your host, Michael Holtz, in the Communications and Marketing Department at the Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education. And I could not be more excited to be talking today to Adiabalum Balaji, the director of the REACT's Cytogenetic Biodosimetry Laboratory at ORISE, one of the most amazing assets um, of the Department of Energy that is managed by ORISE and ORAU. And Dr. Balaji and I had a conversation a few weeks ago about some research that he's doing, and I can't wait to talk about it. I'm so excited. Balaji, welcome once again, because you are a returning guest, welcome once again to the ORISE FeatureCast. Good morning, Michael. Uh, very, very glad to be here. And also to tell you about the exciting research we are doing currently. I'm, I'm so thrilled. As, as you recall, when we were talking about this the other week, I was kind of jumping out of my chair with excitement about, <laughs> about the work that you're doing. So um, just as background... You are doing some research that is funded through an ORAU-directed research and development grant um, with Columbia University, and the project focuses on the notion of flash radiology for the treatment of cancer. Talk about, in kind of broad strokes, what it is that you're working on. Flash radiation is an emerging new uh, technology that uses ultra high dose rate of radiation. Um, it is really promising. Uh, people have done a lot of experimental studies on mice, mini pig and cat. And there are several advantages of this flash radiation. Um, first of all, it delivers the dose several hundred folds faster than the conventional radiotherapy. And the most important thing is the normal tissue is spared. So the flash radiation is very effective in killing tumor cells, but mm -hmm. it spares the normal tissues. So one of the problem in radiotherapy is that conventional radiation causes a lot of uh, acute and late effects to normal tissues. So this is some kind of uh, alleviating that normal tissue effect. 
So flash radiation is going to be the future, in my opinion, because it uh, delivers the dose in a very short time and there is no tissue damage, normal tissue damage. So, so the flash scores really high compared to conventional radiation. Right. What excites me about this so much is when we talked about this the other week, the idea of treating a tumor with one high dose radiation treatment effectively. Um, and as a cancer survivor, I had 28 doses, you know, micro doses or smaller doses over um, a period of time. And of course there were, you know, fantastic side effects like blistering and, you know, swelling open of orifices that shouldn't be swelling open. And, you know, all of those, all of those fun and exciting things. And what I'm hearing about flash radiation is you almost eliminate all of that from happening because you're so targeted and so precise in focusing on the tumor with that high dose radiation that you're preserving the the non-disease tissue around it. Absolutely. So this is what the flash radiation does. Uh, so they looked at a lot of organs like lung, uh, brain, and other organs. So the damage is pretty minimal compared to conventional radiation. For example, uh, with the conventional radiation, lung fibrosis is a common uh, pathological symptom. Mm -hmm. uh, so flash radiation is really effective. So we don't uh, see that lung fibrosis that more frequently uh, than we see with conventional radiation. So there are a lot of uh, benefits. And uh, this is a single fraction radiotherapy compared to multiple fraction conventional radiation therapy. And uh, we don't quite understand how the flash radiation uh, differentially acts on tumor cells and normal cells because it kills tumor cells. And the tumor killing efficiency is comparable to conventional radiation therapy. So there is no compromise, but the normal tissue is spared. So that is what uh, makes flash very exciting field to uh, understand how the biological effects are being produced and how the cells respond to ultra high dose rate. I forgot to mention, um, so flash radiation delivers ultra high dose rate, usually in the range of uh, 40 gray per second. Okay. But in the conventional dose rate, uh, it is only one to two gray per minute. And uh, so much radiation is given all in one fraction that seems to be beneficial for the normal tissues, but detrimental to the tumor tissues. I know part of the research involves how that works, but, you know, again, as a cancer survivor, that, it blows my mind, the prospect of, you know, one treatment over, you know, rather than 28 fractions um, of radiation over time. And, you know, not only are you preserving healthy tissue, but, and reducing side effects, but, for folks who are getting this treatment, the barriers to treatment, you know, have to have to be reduced at some level. I mean, I'm you know, I'm thinking in my case, 28 sessions of radiation for some people that could be a barrier, you know, to getting 
complete treatment if you have to go to a cancer treatment center 28 times over the course of, you know, seven or eight weeks. Um, if you have transportation issues or you have to work or you have to, you know, I mean, I worked while I was in, in treatment and, um, you know, under, you know, ha had an understanding workplace based on where I worked that, you know, it wasn't an issue for me to, to leave work to go get treatment, but that may not be the case for some people. So the fact that you can target the tumor with one ultra high dose has, has such incredible potential on so many levels. Uh, Michael, I just want to emphasize that the flash radiation is not yet there. Right. So only one patient was treated. Uh, he was having uh, T cell acute lymphoma. Uh, way back in 2018 in Switzerland. So he was the only patient to receive flash radiotherapy. He's doing absolutely fine and they have not reported any normal tissue damage in that patient. But still a lot of studies have to be done before we take this to the clinic. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I realize <laughs> I'm very excited. But we have to temper we have to temper the enthusiasm with the fact that much research still needs to be done um, yes. Yes. to ensure that it's safe and it's effective and um, <clears throat> you know that you know as you say the the patient is doing fine making sure that that doesn't change that you know healthy tissue isn't ultimately impacted all of those things. Yes. I just wanted to point it out that people should not think that it is already there <laughs> in well, the clinic, yeah, yeah. but it is not. <laughs> so, yes, we have to do a lot of experiments. Uh, so I'm quite excited uh, with this ODRD program in general because uh, we have done a lot of projects in the past. So we looked at uh, bio-tissue bioprints of humans. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically, you make bioprints that mimic the tissues. And we also compared the uh, physical dosimetry with the biodosimetry using cell phones. And we already published that manuscript. And this one is really exciting. We are doing this with Columbia University Medical Center. So they have actually modified a Kleenex uh, accelerator uh, to produce the flash rates. Just to uh, tell you what we are actually doing, so we are uh, using the uh, peripheral blood lymphocytes as the model system. Okay. And we irradiate the lymphocytes with the conventional dose rate, which is actually one gray per minute. And we also use two dose rates of flash. One is 50 gray per second. The other one is 600 gray per second. So we are trying to understand how cells respond to the this ultra high dose rate. And we are also looking at the DNA damage by looking at chromosomes. So we are looking at uh, different types of chromosome elaborations to see th is there any uh, difference between the flash and the conventional dose rate. And we are also using a number of uh, cancer cell lines and then the cell lines which are compromised for um, DNA repair. Uh, so we are interested uh, in checking out uh, the role of radio sensitivity in potentiating the effects of flash because uh, there are some people who are inherently radiation sensitive. So right. how those people will respond if they are subjected to flash for radiation therapy. 
So it is, it's quite exciting. And uh, so the field is evolving. But like I said, a lot of things to be learned. Uh, we don't know anything about this. I also want to mention here, uh, in the past, we did the extremely low dose rate of mm -hmm. gamma rays. Okay. So we have in the South Campus that delivers 20 milligray per minute which is really low. So the conventional dose rate is one gray per minute. So this is only 20 milligray per second. So what we observed with the low dose rate of uh, gamma rays, so the chromosomal aberrations are reduced uh, because when you uh, give low dose rate, the exposure time is enhanced. So you will do this like a couple of hours, two or three hours instead of 20 minutes. So because of this prolonged exposure time, the cells have the time to remove the lesions or repair the lesions. So the cells, more and more cells survive, thereby the chromosomal aberration is reduced. So what is interesting now with the flash radiation, we see the exact phenomenon. So the conventional dose rate produces a lot more chromosomal damage than the flash radiation with the both the dose rates, 50 gray per second and 600 gray per second. So we get reduced yield of chromosomal aberrations, which is consistent with the flash effect. Like I said before, it kills efficiently the tumor cells, but it spares the normal cells. So that is exciting, but we have to do a lot more. Uh, Columbia University is looking for all these protein biomarkers uh, so if we can get flash responsive biomarkers, which we can use, you know, for patient care, you know, mm -hmm. to follow that up. So how, how are the, um, the effects? Uh, so how many effects are the downstream effects? You know, we, we are talking about the acute and late effects. So if we have suitable protein biomarkers, we can actually monitor those effects for the long term. But another advantage of flash I can keep going. <laughs> okay, now please so do. Another, another distinct advantage is that, so the patients are getting only a single fraction, uh, unlike the conventional one. Right. And there, there is very minimal, I won't say there is absolutely no normal tissue damage, but there is, uh, there will be some degree of uh, normal tissue damage, but that will be very minimal. So what it saves is from the long-term following up of the patients because you don't have uh, severe normal tissue damage. So right. the long-term follow-up may not be necessary for flash radiation therapy compared to the conventional radiation therapy. So that is a distinct advantage. It's a single fraction and the normal tissue is spared. So you don't need to follow up the patients for a long time for the stochastic health risks like cancer. So again, right. Secondary cancer. Uh, yes. Um, and again, that's, you know, exciting to me as a survivor who had radiation treatment, who is still doing my annual visits with my, you know, radiation oncologist to, to check for those, you know, secondary signs of um, cancer as a result of treatment. Um, and again, realizing we are... <laughs> <laughs> it's early days, um, but, you know, biomarkers and precision medicine um, 
is really the next frontier of cancer research and cancer treatment. And um, it is just exciting to be talking with <laughs> with you about work that, that you're doing with Columbia University Medical Center. You know, as we're talking about the frontiers of medicine, it's, it just, it's exciting to know that, um, you know, as a, as a company who has a history in the cancer space that we're still, we're still on the frontier. We are still, you know, we're still on the leading edge of cancer treatment and um, knowledge of how cancer works and how treatment can happen. So by, uh, by working on FLASH, we can also um, uh, find more about the uh, cancer cells, how they behave differently from normal cells. So uh, I always talk about uh, the differential effects. You know, like I said, it kills tumor cells, but does not kill normal cells. So we don't understand the mechanistic basis for the differential effects of um, flash. So, so we have to do a lot more experiments. So there could be less DNA damage and more, um, you know, uh, resistance to ultra high dose rate because it is just a single fraction. So there are. There are a lot of things to be resolved. So to understand the mechanistic basis, how it actually functions. So why it selectively kills tumor cells. So that is our main interest. So we are doing a lot of, uh, um, uh, lot of studies on cancer cells and also normal cells. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, the pilot project is just one year, so we cannot do too much. Sure. But with the, with the data we generate from this pilot grant, so we can, um, you know, get uh, more funding from federal agencies to pursue this exciting uh, field of research. Um, so there is no doubt that it is going to be a very powerful radiotherapy technique in, uh, in the future. Um, but we have to um, cross so many hurdles on the way just to trying to find out how this uh, flash works um, right. on cancer cells. Um, and Balaji, this is not your first research in the cancer space. I mean, you've done, you've done lots of research <laughs> um, and experimentation in the cancer space. Um, I guess my, my question as I, completely pause and stop is has that always been um an interest for you um i mean obviously uh, obviously from a research perspective you've been doing it so there's definitely interest there <clears throat> no actually uh, ever since i graduated i uh, started focusing on dna repair um uh -huh. so many people know oh what is dna repair so you know, uh, we are um, exposed to a lot of things on a daily basis. So, um, so if I tell you the kind of um, the DNA lesions uh, we encounter every day, it'll blow your mind. So, hundreds okay. and thousands of DNA lesions that are being generated on a daily basis because of our uh, metabolism. Okay. Um, so our, we all have a very efficient DNA repair system that takes care of all these lesions. So they repair the lesions, they remove the lesions, and the some cells die and the new cells come. 
so it's a fascinating field. So um, so that's why I uh, I have been really really um, uh, very much interested in understanding the DNA repair because so with the aging the DNA repair also declines. You know the DNA repair efficiency is really high when you are young, but with the age it declines. So cancer was known to be a known to be an age-associated disease. Yes. Because in general, I'm not talking about the childhood cancers, so that right. it's a different story. But the cancer in general, so occur with the age. So when you age, so your DNA repair deficiency declines. So your body is more susceptible to develop cancer because your immune response goes down. Mm -hmm. uh, because of the falling DNA repair efficiency. So it's all interrelated. And also aging. So DNA repair has, uh, has got a vital role in aging. Because right. the DNA repair declines and then the aging, so the DNA repair declines and the age increases. You know, there is, uh, it, that's an inverse uh, proportion between DNA repair and the aging. And also any genetic diseases, you can name it. I mean, the cancer is the one mm -hmm. uh, which was believed to be an age-dependent phenomenon. Uh, so right. that's why I'm really interested in understanding the DNA repair um, uh, efficiency and also deficiency and how the DNA repair deficiency leads to premature aging. Uh, so we have some syndromes that have um, a deficient DNA repair system. Because of the DNA repair deficiency, the aging accelerates in those syndromes, so premature aging syndromes. Um, so it's all very fascinating to me, and there are five genes that actually um, are responsible for aging process. And the mutations in those five genes, I don't want to go too deep into science. So these five genes are helicases. So they actually unwind the DNA and RNA. So they are pretty important. So if you have mutations in those genes, then it will lead to premature aging. And of course, so all these uh, premature aging syndromes are also susceptible to cancer. So there is a link, you see. So the DNA repair deficiency can lead to premature aging and also can lead to uh, cancer susceptibility. So I was fascinated during my graduation days and then I said, oh, I should pursue in DNA repair. And then I actually diverged into radiation biology, which is also equally exciting. Mm -hmm. And my future goal is to um, find out how radiation causes cancer. Okay. So, yeah, during the, during the REM course and ARM course and HP physics course, we conducted reacts. I always tell that radiation is a double-edged sword. So you can use radiation for curing cancer, but it can also cause cancer as a stochastic effect. I mean, not immediately, though but several years later on after the exposure. So, um, so our main goal is to characterize some of the chromosomal changes. So the chromosomal changes, which are often known as translocations, so the translocations mm -hmm. are responsible for the carcinogenic events. Um, so if you ask me, the chromosomal translocations cause cancer or the cancer progression causes chromosomal translocations, I cannot answer because it's like, you know, a chicken or egg kind of thing. Right, right, right. But so what, what we would like to do is we would like to characterize those chromosomal translocations that are specifically induced by radiation exposure. Right. 
So if we get some kind of uh, fingerprint, so we can actually predict. So if um, a cancer patients receive radiation therapy, um, so of course the chances of getting secondary cancers are very remote. Uh, so probably five to 10% of the cancer patients who received radiotherapy can get secondary cancers. But still, uh, so we would be interested to characterize uh, those chromosomal translocations and use them as fingerprints for predicting the cancer risk. And also early on, you know, radiation causes cancer uh, after 20 or 25 years. It's a very slow process. But if you can catch these translocations much earlier, so we can actually, um, you know, avoid or mitigate uh, some of this, uh, or, or you can delay the carcinogenic events. So we can actually, we can actually predict the risk. That's what I'm saying. You know. Okay. So cancer risk, you can predict early on and you can take uh, proper precautions. I mean, it is unavoidable. I mean, it's a genetic uh, basis. So you can, you can do very little, but you can prolong the, the initiation of cancer. So. Um, you said a minute ago that, you know, cancer traditionally isn't, you know, is a, is a function of aging. It's, it's something that tends to happen as, as DNA repair, you know, gets less and less, we're seeing some cancers at younger and younger ages. Is that a function of, and I realize we, there's, there is much research to be done in this area as well, but um, could that be a function of DNA repair issues that are starting earlier, potentially? Yeah, I mean, uh, those uh, childhood cancers could be um, hereditary um, because they are born with certain genetic mutations. Uh, so there are many oncogenes that have been mapped in the human genome. Uh, you might have heard retinoblastoma, you know, there are a lot of uh, breast, can the breast cancer susceptibility gene, uh, yes. one and two. There are a lot of oncogenes. Uh, so they play an important role during the childhood. But they are also important for DNA repair. Most of these oncogenes are also DNA repair genes and tumor suppressor genes also. Okay. Um, so if uh, children are born with uh, certain specific mutations in DNA repair genes, um, you know, designated DNA repair genes, then the cancer incidence will be accelerated. Okay. You know, like I said, in case of premature aging syndrome, if we have mutations in those five genes, recu helicases, five recu helicases, so it is, so the premature aging is accelerated. So, you know, the system is down. You know, you have reduced DNA repair um, efficiency because you have uh, mutations in uh, important genes. So it may lead to uh, the onset of cancer uh, very early on. Uh, but for adults, so we call this as sporadic cancers and familial cancers. Okay. Familial cancers are hereditary. And the sporadic cancers, I think, uh, we acquire during our lifetime. Okay. So, uh, so decline in DNA repair efficiency and also our lifestyle, you know, smoking causes lung cancer, but not in all, but if some persons are predisposed, so they may get lung cancer. 
so like that, there are a lot of genetic factors that go wrong when we age because it is a systemic process. And during the process of aging, your DNA repair declines. Probably you have accumulated some somatic mutations in some genes. So all these accelerate the um, cancer instance. Gotcha. That makes perfect sense. Um, I know time is running a little bit short, but I'm, I know that you are um, doing some speaking about your research um, coming up in Munich, I believe. And yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, we submitted an abstract uh, for an oral presentation at the Conrad, uh, that is uh, 25th uh, Nuclear uh, Defense uh, Conference, uh, Nuclear Medical Defense Conference in Munich. Okay. Uh, so that is going to be held from May 8th through 11th. Uh, so our presentation was accepted. Um, so I will be uh, presenting some of the results we got from the flash radiation. Um, so this is a collaborative work between us and uh, Columbia University Medical Center. And a uh, few researchers from Columbia University Medical Center also will be attending that conference. So I'm quite excited. <laughs> that so, is yeah, I also sent uh, the abstract to International Conference on Radiation Research. It is called ICRR. Um, so the conference will be held in uh, Montreal um, in August. Um, so I don't know the result now. Uh, so because they are actually reviewing the abstracts. So no. if the abstract is selected for presentation, I will also present at the ICRR conference. Gotcha. Yes. Well, that's exciting, and I know that those opportunities, um, you know, hopefully lead to additional funding and <laughs> and all of that. Because I know that beyond the pilot project, you would, you and I'm certain your your research um, fellows at Columbia Columbia University Medical Center would love to keep going. Oh yes, yes. It's, it's the conferences are uh, the best platforms for uh, networking because you meet and after hearing your lecture, they come to you and then discuss more. And then probably it may also lead to fruitful collaborations in the future. So I love to go to conferences and present the talks because that is the only way of connecting to people. So I always like that. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Balaji, thank you so much for spending this time with me and talking about your ODRD project with Columbia University Medical Center and the promise that flash radiation holds. Um, it's again, early days, but um, things sound really exciting. And I'm, I'm thrilled as ever to have the opportunity to talk to you about the work that you're doing. Yeah, I just want to point out that, you know, uh, in 80s and 90s, you know, uh, it usually takes like 20 or 25 years for establishing any new technique, right. but it has tremendously reduced now with the modern technology, you know, with all these uh, innovations and other things. So what can be achieved in 30 years back in the 80s can be achieved in five years now. So right. we are living in the fast age, uh, fast world. So. Uh, so it will not be too far. Uh, I will not be surprised. Uh, so if flash radiation already enters the clinical trial um, in in about three or 
three to five years. I think I will wow. not be surprised because, yeah, people are working on this because they see the potential. Um, so it is it is fantastic. I mean, uh, you know, it's good for the cancer patients and it is cost effective because you are going to get only one time treatment and then it saves the, um, you know, uh, anxiety and stress for the cancer patients. So if you have to go for 30 or 35 fractions compared to one, you can imagine. Uh, so they'll be all very relieved. And then the time you save so much time, like you said. So you are working and then you have to break and then go for the treatment and then come back. You are fatigued and uh, all these side effects, uh, you know, probably will not be there after flash radiation therapy. So I feel really excited to get to the bottom of this. At least I can do alone. Uh, I cannot do alone, but uh, yeah, that's why the collaboration helps. Right, right. And the health equity issue too of, you know, one treatment is can be more readily available to everybody as opposed to, again, you know, 28, yes. Yeah, because when you do conventional radiation therapy, it takes like 25, 30 minutes or something like that. Uh, so, and then you can only treat a certain number of patients on a given day. Right. So, yes, because, you know, more and more people can get treatment really fast because it's just a single fraction. So that must be appealing to, you know, a lot of people, including the insurance, health insurance companies. You know, it's also cost effective. I would and it is good for the patients and good for others as well. <laughs> so. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much again for this conversation. I really appreciate your time. Oh, no, no problem, Michael. It's a pleasure. Um, so hopefully I made some sense about flash radiation. And thank you very much. Uh, I really you. appreciate it. Thank you again. Have a great day. Yeah. Okay, Michael. Thank you for listening to the O-Rise FeatureCast. To learn more about the Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education, visit orise.orau.gov or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at O-Rise Connect. If you like the O-Rise FeatureCast, give us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. The Oak Ridge Institute for Science